people to Isaiah 19. We're going to look at the first five verses, and then we'll be looking at all of 19 and 20 uh, this evening over the next 40, 45 minutes or so. The Bible says, The burden of Egypt. Behold, the Lord rideth upon a swift cloud, and shall come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence, and the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. And I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians, and they shall fight every one against his brother, and every one against his neighbor, city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit of Egypt shall fail in the midst thereof, and I will destroy the counsel thereof, and they shall seek to their idols, and to the charmers, and to them that have familiar spirits, and to the wizards, and the Egyptians will I give over into the hand of a cruel Lord, and a fierce king shall rule over them, saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts. And the waters shall fail from the sea, and the rivers shall be wasted and dried up. The title of the Bible study this evening is this, God Doesn't Forget. God Doesn't Forget. Um, Egypt had uh, held Israel into captivity for a long time and even had many of the male babies killed and thrown in the river. And now God's going to come full circle many, many hundreds of years later and judge the Egyptians for uh, their idolatry and their abuse, their anti-Semitic ways against the Jews. So uh, let's look at that title tonight, God Doesn't Forget. Let's pray tonight. Lord, help us as we look at the Bible and uh, we understand these verses before us. Lord, give us an appetite for a verse-by-verse exegetical um, diagramming, uh, digesting, uh, Lord, of these passages of the Bible. Help us, Lord, to be hungry for the Word of God. Help us to love it and enjoy it. Help us to understand that line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, that every Word of God, all Scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable. So, Lord, help us to find that which is profitable in the passage this evening. Move in our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, we all know the story of the Exodus, right? In uh, the last 17 chapters of the book of Genesis, we find the story of Joseph. And Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers to, uh, to a caravan. And that caravan takes him into Egypt where he is sold and uh, he uh, becomes the uh, a slave there in Egypt to Potiphar. And then after serving in Potiphar's house for a while, he's thrown back into a prison cell unjustly. And then from the prison cell, he is catapulted all the way up to the second most powerful man in the kingdom where he saves the world from starvation and famine. And then after, uh, after a series of events, he brings his brothers and their wives and their children and his father to Egypt. Uh, they are national heroes. They're given the best of the best of the land to live in. There they are dwelling in Egypt. They're uh, almost uh, uh, put up, not worship, but put up and they're VIPs, if you will, within the country. But then we get to the book of Exodus and there came a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. He did not know who Joseph was. And he uh, saw that the Israelite people were growing in size and he became threatened by them. So Pharaoh then did what was horrible and he enslaved 
the, uh, the, the Israelites and enslaving someone in this manner where you're beating them and treating them subhuman because they're of another race is deplorable and it's wicked and it's wrong. But it's exactly what happened. And the Israelites became the slaves to the Egyptians and uh, served there with a whip on their back and uh, lived within that culture. And uh, they, they dealt with that for many, many years. I mentioned a minute ago how that Pharaoh uh, did not want the, uh, the the Hebrew boy babies around. He he did not want the Hebrew people to grow any greater, so he began to command the, the Egyptian midwives to take the Hebrew babies, and if, uh, when they were born, if they were boys, to throw them in the river and have them killed. And many of the midwives disobeyed that order because no woman, uh, no matter who, uh, who she's loyal to, can just take a baby if she's got a normal conscience and just throw that baby in the river and kill it. So uh, all the same, uh, there was um, a battle, intellectual battle going on there and um, a moral battle even going on there. But one day a little baby boy named Moses was born and he was kept quiet by his mother. I would love to know how she kept him quiet for three months. What was the secret? Uh, I know when my children were a month and a half old, they had developed lungs where every neighbor could hear them crying in the middle of the night. Amen? But she kept him quiet for a time, and then when she couldn't keep him quiet any longer, she, um, she put him down in the river, and uh, that, river float, that, that river took him down to right there where uh, Pharaoh's daughter was. And you may not know this, but Pharaoh's daughter was the greatest prophet, uh, profiteer in the Bible, the greatest financier in the Bible. You say, how do you know that um, uh, Pharaoh's daughter was the greatest financier in the Bible? Well, because she went down to the bank and she drew out a little profit. Amen? So that's how we know. Okay, you can laugh. That's supposed to be funny. Uh, that's how we know that she was the greatest financier in the Bible. But there Moses was, uh, through the sovereignty of God, Moses was protected from murder and for the first 40 years, he would grow up there in the, in the palace. Uh, he would be trained by the best. He would be uh, uh, treated as royalty. He was a Jew, but treated like an Egyptian. And after 40 years, he decided not to give in to being an Egyptian, being loyal to who he was as an Israelite. And through a series of events, he was run out of uh, Egypt and uh, would go to the backside of the desert where he would marry Zipporah. And uh, the two of them... Uh, would have a child together, and after 40 years of being a shepherd, he would come back to Egypt, and he would walk into Pharaoh's palace, and he would say just a handful of very powerful words. He would say, "Let God says, let my people go. And we all know the story. There were ten plagues that fell upon Egypt, and the tenth one being the murder of the, the death of the firstborn of those that didn't have the blood on the doorpost. And Pharaoh finally cried uncle, gave, uh, gave up and let the Israelites go. And Egypt had been, had been hit hard. Egypt had been uh, weakened at its knees because of that. And if that wasn't bad enough, uh, Pharaoh had a change of heart and sent the armies after uh, Moses and after the Israelites only to have that army drowned in the Red Sea, drowned in the Red Sea. And so Israel got away from Egypt and made its way through uh, over a series of 40 years and made its way through to the Promised Land. And here we are several hundred years removed from this incident and now God is telling Egypt through Isaiah, I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten. I am still going to punish you. You are still going to suffer for your behavior, not only for your behavior against my people, 
But because you never turned to me and gave me your heart, you've been idolatrous. You've uh, practiced spiritism and mysticism. And uh, you've, you, you've uh, participated in uh, worshiping thousands of gods. And now I'm going to rain down my wrath. I'm going to bring my burden upon Egypt. Look at verse number one there. It says, the burden of Egypt. Again, we've said that that word burden, another word for it, is the word judgment. The judgment that will fall on Egypt. And God is now prophesying through Isaiah exactly what he's going to do to Egypt. Let's jump in this evening and let's look at three uh, thoughts out of Isaiah 19 and 20. Notice the first thought, Isaiah's fulfilled prophecy. Isaiah's fulfilled prophecy. This chapter breaks up into two sections. 1 through 15 talks about the prophecies that in our, our they were prophetic to Isaiah They had yet to happen in Isaiah's time. They would happen just a few years later after Isaiah would um, prophesy them. Let's see here. That should read Isaiah. So typo on our part. Our apologies. Isaiah's fulfilled prophecy there. Uh, But they've happened now in our timeline. So are you with me here? Isaiah predicted them, if you would, here. They came to pass here, and now we're out here. So we can look back and see that these prophecies that Isaiah gave all indeed did come true. And But there, verse 16 to the end of the chapter offers a set of prophecies that have still yet to come true and that will come true uh, as we get closer to the return of Christ. So we're going to focus on verse 1 through 15, the prophecies of Isaiah that did indeed come true, and then 16 down to the end of the chapter, the prophecies that are yet to come true. So let's jump in here and notice how God used Isaiah to predict the the judgment, the burden of Egypt, and let's see the fulfilled prophecies. Letter A, notice, Egypt's confidence destroyed. Egypt's confidence destroyed. Look Look back at verse number 1 with me of Isaiah chapter 19. The Bible says, The burden of Egypt... Behold, the Lord rideth upon a swift cloud, and shall come into Egypt. And the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence, and the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. Notice there it says, the idols of Egypt shall be moved at its presence. Uh, present. Uh, Egypt was known, and it still is known, for uh, the ancient Egyptian Pantheon. Pantheon. What was the Pantheon? There were over 2,000 deities worshipped by the Egyptians. 2,000 deities worshipped by the Egyptians. Let me show you a couple of these um, uh, uh, idols that were worshipped here. This idol here coming up, this was the god of magic. The god of magic. And you may remember from the story when Moses goes into Egypt, and he is able to throw his serpent down, a rod down on the ground, and it turns into a serpent. You may remember that there were those in the king's presence who worked for the king, Pharaoh, who were able to throw their rods down as well and turn them into serpents. And then Moses put his rod into water and turned it to blood, and then they put their rod into water and turned it into blood. Why? Because they worshipped the god of magic. Now, I want to just say right here before we move on, it may make no sense to you that someone would bow down to a statue some as, such as that. 
what does bowing down to a piece of rock or metal really do to you? And I've made this point before, but it's worth making here again. Uh, when folks bowed down to a, a god such as this one, they weren't bowing down to a piece of plastic or metal or stone. They were bowing down to the demons behind that plastic or metal or stone. No one bows down to an idol just to bow down to an idol. There is a, a force of evil behind that idol that's being worshipped. There is power that's received within the person when they bow down to that idol and make no uh, mistake about it. There was Satan at work behind this idol here and the magic that was performed was real magic but or rather actually happened but that was because Satan uh, and his power was at work behind that. Now I mentioned there were 2,000 gods. The next set of gods on the screen here, these all, uh, let's see, Amun, Isis, um, I, I can't uh, read them all from uh, this distance. I guess I'm getting old. My eyesight's starting to dim here. Uh, but um, uh, all of these gods here that you see, there were, there were temples built to each one of these gods within the Egyptian cultures or goddesses within the Egyptian culture. So you had temples uh, that were elaborate and beautiful and uh, decorative and uh, they, they all had their own temple and they all have their own sets of priests and priestesses traditionally in egyptian culture if it was a a female goddess then you had female priestesses that served in that temple and if it was a male god uh, uh, generally speaking not in every occasion uh, there was a couple exceptions to this but if it was a male god then you had male priests that served there in those temples and not only did they have uh, their temples and their many, many, many gods, 2,000 of them in total, they also had days of celebration where there were feasts, feast days, sort of like the Israelites had their feast days. But they would have their feast days. And one of the little things I learned in studying for this Bible, putting this Bible study together, was that the Israelites and all Egyptian slaves were forced to go to some of these feasts. They were fed food at these feasts. They were forced to participate in that. Is it any wonder when the Israelites left Egypt and got in the middle of the desert and Moses went up in the, in the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, is it any wonder that the Israelites said, Aaron, this guy's gone, build us a God. Where did they learn that? They learned that in Egypt where they had been part of a culture for several generations where worshiping false gods was a big, big, big deal and they had been forced to even go to the feasts and be a part of that. They were uh, involved in that very thing. Now, turn over with me to Psalm chapter number 20 and verse number 7. Psalm 20 and verse 7. And uh, I love what David says here in this psalm. As opposed to uh, depending on idols and demonic spirits and demonic powers to get by, David said that's not where our trust is. Look at Psalm 20 verse 7 when you get there. These, these, uh, the Bible tells us back in Isaiah 19 that the Lord came down and he, uh, he caused the heart of the, the Egyptians to melt uh, in the midst of it. Why? Because he confounded their idols. He made their idolatry foolishness. And, 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 and when he took away their gods, he took away their trust. Look at Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Isn't that wonderful? I want to ask you this evening, are you trusting in a vehicle? Are you trusting in a job? Are you trusting in a doctor? Are you trusting in a system? 
Are you trusting in a politician? Are you trusting in something other than God? Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Uh, If your confidence is found in anything other than God, I'm just going to tell you right now, at some point your confidence is going to be shattered. Because that's going to, at some point, let you down. Uh, I just started going to the gym again. Don't I look great? Amen? No, not yet. Amen. I'm, I'm, I just started, okay? It's gonna, I'm hurting right now. I'm very sore, okay? I went with Brother John, and he about killed me. So if I end up in the, in the grave in the next few weeks, it's because it's Brother John's fault. Amen? Um, he's killing me in the gym over there. I can't keep up with him. But uh, some listen, some people I see at the gym you can tell that they are dependent upon themselves to be healthy. I'm all for being healthy and in shape. But listen, what's important is that our faith is in God and God alone. It's okay, to, it's okay to see a doctor. It's okay to get help where you need it. It's okay to have a job and make money. It's okay to have money and savings. It's, all that's great, but make sure that your confidence is not in those things. Your confidence is in the Lord. Otherwise, what happens? Those things become your, own, your idols. And then what happens? God comes down and God touches those things and then they're not something you can rely on and then your confidence becomes destroyed. Isaiah's fulfilled promises. He said that God would come down in the clouds and He would, uh, he would uh, back in Isaiah 19.1, it says, And shall come into Egypt and the idols of Egypt shall be moved at His presence. And this would cause their hearts to fail. So we see Isaiah's fulfilled prophecies. Egypt's confidence destroyed. Letter B, notice Egypt's country divided. Egypt's country divided. Look with me at verse number 2, and we'll see now civil war is going to set in. Uh, Isaiah predicted civil war would set in, and that indeed did happen. Verse 2, and I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians, and they shall fight every one against his brother, and everyone against his neighbor, city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit of Egypt shall fail in the midst thereof, and I will destroy the counsel thereof. And they shall seek to uh, to the idols, and to the charmers, and to them that have familiar spirits, and to the wizards, or they'll seek out the occult, they'll seek out mysticism. Verse 4, And the Egyptians will I give over, into the hand of a cruel Lord, and a fierce king shall rule over them, saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts. Let's break these three verses down one at a time. In verse 2, we see the civil war within the country. Ancient history books talk about a time before the Assyrians came in and uh, conquered the Egyptians and ruled over the Egyptians for a while. Uh, Ancient history tells us about a time where Egypt experienced a civil war. This would have happened after Isaiah predicted that it would happen. And so what happened is these cities began to develop their own little kingdoms and they became fractured and then the council fell apart. Well, you had a problem here. And you know, the best way for a country to fall apart is when they start fighting with each other. I'm afraid that's what's going on in America right now. Can I just say this right here, right now? I don't want to be divided with any American over any topic. I don't. I, I, I want to believe what I believe in a way that's gracious enough to where if we don't see eyeball to eyeball, we can still be amicable toward each other. Amen? We, we, no, no two people are ever going to see everything the same. Listen, I'm married to my wife and we're one flesh. We don't always see everything the same. 
We have Sometimes we have a difference in political opinion. Sometimes we have a difference in uh, the direction we should go on something. And we've learned how to compromise and love each other through all that. And listen, you don't have to be divided. And I'm seeing America today split down the middle. And it's okay that there's a difference in philosophy. But now we've become mean and nasty with each other. We cannot sit and have a conversation about a difficult topic without getting angry and storming out being nasty. And that's sad. That's sad. That's exactly how a country falls apart. It's so easy for a country to be conquered after they've destroyed each other. So easy. If America ever gets to a place where we do go to civil war, there are going to be countries sitting in the wing waiting to swoop in and finish us off. That's exactly what happened to Egypt. They went to war with each other, kingdom against kingdom, neighbor against neighbor, And lo and behold, verse 3, look at verse 3. We see civil war within the country. Verse 3 tells us that chaos ensues. Look at 19, verse 3. And the spirit of Egypt shall fail in the midst thereof. What's that mean? That means their national pride will be lost. That their sense of unity as a nation would be gone. It says, and I will destroy the council thereof. What's that mean? That probably means like the king's council or the king's cabinet. That's gone. The political power is gone. There is no more political stronghold in that country. It says, and they, these these are the individuals, because they don't have a government to turn to anymore, they shall seek to the idols and to the charmers and to them that have familiar spirits and to the wizards. You remember when King Saul was troubled by the spirit after he'd been chasing David around the wilderness? He went to the witch of Endor to try to resurrect Samuel from the dead. People get desperate, and instead of turning to a preacher, instead of turning to righteousness, they turn to spiritism. And he says, when the country is, is, is stabbed each other to death, when there's been enough war to where there's political failure and there's chaos and there's anarchy, the very next step is that you're going to have uh, chaos ensue and you're going to have people turn to demonic forces. And that's exactly what Satan wants because he brings death. Verse 4 we see uh, the Assyrian, Egypt falls to the Assyrians. And, and uh, look at verse 4. And the Egyptians will I give over to the hand of a cruel Lord, and a fierce king shall rule over them, saith the Lord, uh, the, the Lord of hosts. You say, well, I don't see the Assyrians in there. Quickly look at chapter 20 and verse 6. Chapter 20, verse 6. The Bible says, And the inhabitants of this isle shall say in that day, Behold, such is our expectation, whether we flee to deliver, to, whether we flee to be delivered from the king of Assyria, and how shall we escape? Chapter 20 is talking about both Ethiopia and Egypt. So the Assyrians did indeed come down and conquer the Egyptians after Isaiah predicted that this. In fact, Egypt fell to the Assyrians in 670 B.C. by the hand of King uh, S.R. Hadon. S.R. Hadon came in and conquered Egypt after they had their civil war. Isaiah predicted it. Isaiah foretold it. And now that prophecy has been fulfilled. People who doubt the Bible, people who question the Bible, here again yet is another instance of Isaiah yet again prophesying a, a, a catastrophic event to a country. And lo and behold, it came to pass. So we see Egypt's country divided. Letter C, notice Egypt's commerce devastated. Egypt's commerce devastated. Uh, instead of reading from 5 all the way down through 10, let's take these one at a time. We see first that their agriculture was devastated. Their commerce was devastated. Their agriculture. Look at verse 5. 
and verse 6. The Bible says, And the waters shall fail from the sea, and the rivers shall be wasted and dried up, and they shall turn the river rivers far away, and the brooks of defense shall be emptied and dried up, the reeds and flags shall wither. Let's break this down. Verse 5, when it says, And the waters shall fail from the sea. If you look at Egypt, you may wonder, What sea is near Egypt? And this is talking about the Nile River. The Nile River was such a large body of water. There was so much water flow there that it was equivalent to or uh, paralleled with the sea. Look there, as we see there, from the sea and the rivers. What were the rivers? These were the deltas uh, that came down, the canals that came down that were channeled into Egypt in order to provide for their agriculture. And uh, there would be a rainy season where those would overflow and they would be able to have a great harvest of fruit and uh, great harvest of many, many other types of plants. And we see here now that uh, the Nile River uh, Delta, the Nile, Nile, Nile River area has been totally left desolate. Put that picture up there for me. This is modern day Nile River. There is no more agriculture in many of the areas. Now, there is limited agriculture around the Nile River Delta. As I read about this and explored this and looked at pictures of this, you can find some areas around the Nile River where there is some agriculture. But please understand that in Moses' day and even in Isaiah's day before the prophecy, this was lush and rich in agriculture. And now much of it is left barren. So, uh, We've got two more pictures here to show you. Here's another picture. You see the tree, the limited trees that are there. They're making an effort to get trees there, but by and large, it looks like a desert surrounding the water. One more here for you. Again, and these are all different areas of the Nile River Delta that used to be filled with agriculture. Isaiah said, God's going to dry this up. Your agriculture is going to disappear. I'm going to touch your commerce. I'm going to touch your income, Egypt, your national income, will be destroyed. You may remember that uh, Joseph, when he oversaw uh, uh, the, the nation of Egypt, he brought in great harvests from this region, and now this region no longer yields uh, the, the bounty of fruit that, and vegetables that it once did. Not only would their agriculture be touched, look down at verse number 7, we see that their paper production would be destroyed. Look at verse 7, the paper reads, by the brooks, by the mouth of the brooks, and everything sown by the brooks shall wither, be driven away, and be no more. Papyri dates back to Egypt. And the Phoenicians are the ones that invented uh, the use of it as paper. Uh, most plants used to harvest and convert this came from the Nile River. You say, well, what is papyri? Put a picture of papyri up there for us. You know what papyri is. You've seen this before. Uh, much of the Bible would have been written on parchment paper, papyri like this. This came from a plant. And through a process, they would turn that plant into paper. And what happened? God, through His punishment of Egypt, through His burden, shut down the paper mills in Egypt. Now very, very little papyri grows in that uh, plants that would develop papyri grow in that region, an area that once was lush uh, in producing that no longer is able uh, to do so. Look at verse number 8. Look at verse number 8. We see the fishing industry would be greatly hurt. The Bible says the fishers also shall mourn, and they that cast angle into the brooks shall uh, lament, and they that spread nets upon the waters 
shall languish. I've read and seen and heard uh, that uh, you can do some fishing in this area in the Nile River, but commercial fishermen have given up even trying to make enough of a catch that would last and matter. And uh, according to this verse, there was a day where great fish could be caught, a great uh, uh, multitudes of fish could be caught. And you may even remember the Israelites complaining they wanted to go back to Egypt because they wanted what? Fish. They wanted fish. Well, now God is touching the fish and uh, and, and through Isaiah, God predicted that the fishing industry in the Nile River would be washed up and a whole lot of soot and soil has washed up in that delta making that area very, very limited in its fishing. But not only would the fishing industry be predicted and then destroyed, the fabric, fabric industry. Look at verse number 9. Moreover, they that work in fine flax and they that weave networks shall be confounded. I found this. Egypt raised flax and they wove it into remarkable linen. Some say uh, that it even excelled the fine linen made in Ireland in our day. Uh, Irish linen mills get about 180,000 feet of strands per pound of their linen. But the Egyptian mills back in Bible days, by some accounts, some ancient historical accounts, got 300,000 feet of strands per pound. Their linen was finer than anything we have today. It was silky smooth. But when God brought down His judgment on Egypt, this industry also completely vanished and disappeared. Isaiah predicted it, and it has come true. It has come to pass. We see the fabric industry was touched. Why did all of this happen? Because God touched the Nile River that supplied uh, this area, and God held back the water, and God showed them, I am greater than you are. Listen, you hurt my people. Uh, You were rude to my people. You were idolatrous in your nature. You never turned back to me. Now comes God's hand of punishment. Letter A, we see Egypt's uh, confidence destroyed. Letter B, Egypt's country divided. Letter C, Egypt's commerce destroyed. Devastated. Letter D, we see Egypt's counselors discredited. Egypt's counselors discredited. Look at verse number 11 with me. Verse number 11, the Bible says, Surely the princes of Zoan are fools. The counsels of the wise counselors of Pharaoh is become brutish. How say ye unto Pharaoh, I am the son of the wise, the son of the ancient kings? Where are they? Where are thy wise men? Let them tell thee now, and let them uh, know uh, what the Lord of hosts hath uh, purposed upon Egypt. The princes of Zoan are become fools. The princes of Noph are deceived. They have also seduced Egypt, even they that are the stay of the tribes thereof. Now, uh, this happened in many different uh, European countries and uh, uh, African countries and uh, even in some of the Asian world. What am I talking about? What would happen is you'd have royalty and then royalty had a sense of elitism and royalty only wanted to marry royalty. Well, what happens when you get uh, cousins marrying cousins and then brothers marrying sisters? You produce a bloodline that is tainted and flawed. Many people who study ancient, uh, uh, ancient, Egypt, uh, ancient history from Egypt believe uh, that there was inbreeding going on and this intermarrying within the bloodline 
cause mutations and many of the royals had mental retardation and that this fit the textbook definition of being moronic or brutish. Again, look back at verse number uh, number 12. It says, where are they? Where are the wise men? And let them uh, let uh, and let tell them. Uh, let them tell thee now and let them know uh, what the Lord of hosts hath purposed upon Egypt. Down in verse number 13, it calls them fools. And I believe in verse number 11, it calls them brutish. What's this meaning? What's this meaning? It's meaning that their counsel has become no good because they are no longer intelligent enough to do it. This was predicted by Isaiah, these prophecies Came true. Now, I want to make a point of application before we move on to the rest of the sermon. Have you ever done something wrong and thought you got away with it? You ever said something or acted in a way and thought, well, you know, I, I didn't see any consequences of God come down on my life? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, okay? Can I just say that uh, God doesn't forget? God doesn't forget. I've heard someone say, my wife doesn't get hysterical, she gets historical, right? And uh, i got a wife who doesn't ever seem to forget anything when it comes to things I've done wrong, right? She can pull them up just like this, okay? Now, she's pretty gracious with me. She's pretty good at letting bygones be bygones. Can I tell you that God remembers our wrongdoings that haven't been confessed and forsaken? Now, uh, when we confess and forsake, He forgives. Another way of saying this is, you can choose your sin, you cannot choose the consequences of your sin. And those consequences sometimes are uh, not realized, but they come along all the same. Think about a man who is stingy and is a miser and doesn't give to the Lord. He says, well, I don't see God punishing me in any way. Well, that may be, that may be how you feel, but the rea- reality of that is if you're a miser and you're not giving, well, all of a sudden people aren't really going to be giving to you in your time of need. You say, well, I've got money. I don't have any needs. How about emotional needs? How about social needs? How about spiritual needs? You see, there, all of us have needs. No matter how much money we have in the bank, all of us have needs. And when we're stingy, boy, what you find is that other people are going to end up being stingy toward you. And you think, oh, I'm not giving and God's not punishing me. Well, maybe He is and you just don't realize it. Right? I think about a husband who has eyes filled with lust and he thinks, well, I'm getting away with this and nobody knows it, but one way or another that's affecting the intimacy within your marriage. You say, I don't think it's affecting the intimacy in my marriage. Well, how do you know unless you stop the lust only to find out, oh, maybe that lust was affecting my marriage. A wife who has a complaining mouth but has been married for 20 years or 30 or 40 years, and she thinks, well, I've not lost my marriage. There's no consequences to me having a sharp tongue and being nasty and unkind toward my family. Everything seems to still be okay, and uh, I don't see how God's punishing me. Ma'am, you may not know how rich your home life would be if you would learn how to stop complaining and being so unkind and mean and nasty. Some consequences are not realized because we are used to living in the waller of our sin. When we stop those sins, boy, our lives are taken to a whole other level. God doesn't forget. There will come a judgment day when we stand before God and we'll be rewarded for our life. 
will also be rewarded for uh, we'll be rewarded for the good we've done, but we'll also be handed ashes for the things we've done that are wrong. Why? Because God doesn't forget. Number one, we see Isaiah's fulfilled prophecies. On a positive note, uh, I, I want to just skip this in here before we move on to number two. God also doesn't forget his promises when he's promised you something good. Aren't you glad that he always keeps his promises? Sometimes they're delayed, aren't they? Right? Um, you ever had your, your cell phone be uh, in a slow mode and you hit, a, hit the letter on your keyboard and there's like a five-second delay before it pops up on your screen? And after about the third one, you want to throw your phone against the wall, right? There's like a delay, right? We want it now, right? And sometimes, you know, we do what's right and then wait, 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 boom, God comes through. Because He does things on His timing, not ours. But God always keeps His Word. Number one, Isaiah's fulfilled prophecies. Number two, we see Isaiah's future prophecy. Isaiah's future prophecy. Let's look at an A and a B here. Notice letter A, their worry during the tribulation. Their worry during the tribulation. Now, verse 16 down to the end of the chapter, we have a, we have a, a change in the way words are used. Look at verse 16. Look at the first three words there. See, in that day. Five times over the next handful of verses, we're going to find that phrase, in that day. Um, in that day refers to end time future events. Now, verse 16 and 17, from the best that I can tell from my studies and all of my cross-referencing and checking, the best I can tell, verse 16 and 17, is talking about Egypt during the tribulation period. The seven-year tribulation period, and then 18 down to the end of the chapter, is talking about yet a different period. We'll talk about that in a moment. Look at 16 and 17 with me. It says, In that day, in my opinion, during the great tribulation, shall Egypt be like unto women, and it shall be afraid and fear because of the shaking of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he shaketh over it. This is the center of the world, Egypt, Israel, and Assyria, or modern-day Iraq, where much of the world events will be going on. God will be shaking His hand during the tribulation, the seven uh, seal judgments, and then the seven trumpet judgments, and then the seven vile or bold judgments that will be poured out over the earth. The hand of God will be shaken right over this region, and the people of Egypt will fear as a woman in a fearful state. Verse 17, In the land of Judah... Uh, shall be a terror unto Egypt. Every one that maketh mention thereof shall be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he hath determined against it. Uh, Egypt today is very, very, very Muslim. There's a very strong Muslim presence in Egypt. And so during the tribulation, there will still be people who are anti-Semitic living in Israel, and uh, there will be an attack on the Jews, and there will be a pouring out of God's wrath on those who are attacking the Jews. And so there will be great worry and great fear and great angst within the land of Egypt uh, during that day. But then when you get to the other side of the tribulation and you get to the millennium reign of Christ, boy, the, uh, the, the corporate attitude within Egypt shifts and they go from attacking God's people, those people are dealt with and destroyed, and the people that are left in Egypt now are people who worship God and love the Jews. Letter B, we see their worship during the millennium. Their worship during the millennium. Verse 18 down through 25, the phrase, in that day, I believe, talks about uh, when Jesus Christ rules and reigns from His throne 
in Jerusalem. 18, the Bible says, In that day shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak the language of Canaan, or Hebrew, and swear to the Lord of hosts, one shall be called the city of destruction. In that day uh, shall there be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. What's, what's going on here? Well, now the people that live in uh, Egypt, they speak Hebrew, and uh, they put an altar up to the Lord in Jerusalem. They're worshiping the Lord. Verse 19, in that day shall there be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar at the border there to the, to, the, to the Lord. Verse 20, And it shall be for a sign and for a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they shall cry unto the Lord because of the oppressors. And He shall send them a Savior and a great one. And He shall deliver them. And the Lord shall be known to Egypt. And the Egyptians shall know the Lord in that day and shall do sacrifice and oblation. Yea, they shall vow a vow unto the Lord and perform it. Uh, what's going on here? In uh, verses uh, uh, 16 and 17, there was fear and concern, the hand of God's judgment being shaken over uh, the land of Egypt, and a great fear of, of, of those uh, Israelites from Judah. But then in 18, down through the end of the chapter, instead we find a people who are worshiping the Lord. They speak the language of the Canaanite, of the land of Canaan. They have uh, an altar to the Lord. And let's keep reading here because it gets better. Look at verse 22. And the Lord shall smite Egypt, and he shall smite and heal it. And they shall return even to the Lord, and he shall be entreated of them, and shall heal them. In that day, we see here those three countries coming together. In that day, there shall be a highway out of Egypt. To Assyria, and the Assyrians shall come into Egypt, and the Egyptians into Assyria, and the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, mine inheritance. When Jesus Christ rules and reigns, Egypt, Assyria, and Israel are going to have. Uh, Syria, by the way, is modern-day Iraq. Uh, those three countries will have a, a highway system within them where people can travel back and forth, and they'll, uh, they'll almost be as one country worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard to believe that Iraq one day will get to that place or that the hatred felt in Egypt uh, toward uh, Judaism and Christianity get to that place. But the Great Tribulation will purge these lands. And Isaiah predicts a time during the millennial reign where these three countries will share a pact together of warmness and closeness. And I just have to say, if God's Word says it's going to happen, even though the political climate doesn't seem to dictate that today, one day, this joyous day, is going to happen. These three countries will worship together. And so we see Isaiah's future prophecy. I just have to say that as we're going through Isaiah, and I see uh, uh, a lot of talk about the millennial reign of Christ all throughout Isaiah's book, I get excited about the thought of Jesus ruling and reigning right here on planet Earth. I wonder how the media is going to cover King Jesus. I wonder if they're going to do pop, pop, uh, uh, polls of how popular King Jesus is, right? Uh, I wonder... Um, I wonder if you'll have uh, uh, Rachel Maddow and Jake Tapper and Sean Hannity on at uh, their respective times across their networks giving opinion, political opinion, about the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. 
I don't know how all that's going to work, if there'll be newspaper articles and all that going on. But I know this, King Jesus is going to rule and reign right here, and the church is going to be redeemed and cleansed and be have gone through their judgment seat and made whole, and we're going to get to rule and reign with Jesus. I'm going to ask him if he can make me make me mayor of Stratford. Amen? I want to come back to Stratford um, and, uh, and uh, be mayor and pastor of Stratford. I hope that's what he'll let me do. So uh, the, the ruling of Jesus Christ is coming, and that's something we can get excited about. Number three, and lastly, notice Isaiah's forceful proclamation. And I'm going to hit this one quickly because it's a little awkward, and we'll finish the message. Look at verse number one. The Bible says in the year, chapter 20, verse one, in the year that Tartan came unto Ashdod, when Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him and fought against Ashdod and took it. At the same time spake the Lord by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from off thy loins and put off thy shoes for thy feet. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. And the Lord said, Like as my servant Isaiah hath walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign, uh, a, a sign and wonder upon Egypt and Ethiopia, so shall the king of Assyria lead astray the Egyptian prisoners and the Ethiopian captives, young and old, naked and barefoot, even with their buttocks uncovered, to the shame of Egypt. And they shall be afraid and ashamed of Ethiopia, their expectation, and of Egypt, their glory. And the inhabitants of this isle shall say in that day, Behold, such is our expectation, whether we flee for help, uh, to be delivered from the king of Assyria, and how shall we escape? Now, how clothed or unclothed was Isaiah? Many, co- many commentators believe that taking off his loincloth still left him in some sort of undergarment, all right? And so that he was not totally, completely naked, but that he walked around uh, definitely as a visual. Now, why did, why did God have Isaiah do this? Why did Isaiah do something that was so forceful? Here's why. Because Judah and Israel seem to have a knack of going and making pacts with countries instead of just trusting God. Isaiah was not walking around Egypt or Ethiopia. He was walking around Israel saying, the judgment of God is coming on Egypt and Ethiopia. Do not make a pact with them. Do not make a pact with them. Now, that sermon was effective, but it was so much more effective when they saw Isaiah in this immodest state. And what was it? It was a message that one day these people are going to be led completely naked out of their countries by the Assyrians in an embarrassing way. And so do not make a pact with uh, Egypt or with Ethiopia. Trust in the Lord. Let him deliver you. And um, I think the application is pretty obvious this evening. Uh, God knows what he's talking about. He speaks through his man. And that uh, when God's man speaks truth, we should listen to it. Amen. I don't want to have to come in here uh, in my undergarments to get your attention. Glory, hallelujah. Let's just do what's right. Amen. Let's do what the Bible says. Let's uh, keep the Lord. You don't want me to come in here that way either. Amen. Uh, but uh, let's, let's, uh, let's keep the Lord first. And uh, let's, let's keep God's truth real in our hearts. Here's what I hope the Bible study accomplishes this evening. I hope the Bible study and our Bible study through Isaiah accomplishes this in your heart. God always keeps His Word. He predicted these things through Isaiah, and those that were in the timeline to come true have all come true. Every one of them. There's another set of prophecies in Isaiah that uh, is yet to come true, and we anticipate that. What's the next event on the calendar uh, for the church? Well, it's the rapture. We're looking forward to the day 
the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise, and that could happen today. I wouldn't mind if it did. Amen. I wouldn't have to go to Peru to see Angela and the kids. I'd just see him in heaven. That'd be fine with me. Uh, but uh, let's, uh, let's trust God, and let's remember that God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget. He keeps his promises both uh, to punish us and to reward us. So uh, let's keep that in our hearts and minds.